Hey church, <laughs> I'm so excited to be here um, and I'm so happy that I get to be preaching today my first sermon ever. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Daniel and I am the Simple Church Mobilization Multiplier. Um, I'm very appreciative of this opportunity to get to preach today to you guys, um, just to really get to dive into God's Word. And so thank you for just joining me for this experience and I hope it's a great sermon today. <laughs> so. As Paula so excellently read, today we're going to be reading about Mark, verse, uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. This covers, of course, one of the most important and well-known stories of the Bible, the resurrection. We've probably all heard this story, especially on the countless Easter Sundays that has been told. Um, but I want to ask you guys, as we come to this sermon today, to just take a step back and be willing to hear it, um, asking God, to give you a fresh set of ears to listen to what is Mark saying that you've never heard before. So before we get into the word, let's just quickly pray. Dear God, thank you that we can just come, that we can just be here. Uh, thank you for this amazing opportunity that I have and that I can just uh, preach your word to our church, God. Um, thank you that you are loving and you're all-powerful, almighty. Um, thank you that there's always so much that we can learn and so much that uh, your word speaks to us that we can apply to our lives and we can just continue to grow in. Help us today, God, just to lean into your word, to really listen to what you're saying to us and help us just to learn something new. Thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Okay, so this is the big deal. This is truly the main climax of the Bible and this is the story that we've been waiting for throughout the entire Bible. This passage is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's quite interesting when reading this passage, Mark kind of tells the story in a very unique way. Like in my opinion, when I first read this, I thought Mark was kind of telling the most important story in the Bible in this very anticlimactic way. Before we get started, something I think that's important for us to know before reading this is that a lot of Bibles, after verse 8, uh, will say something like, the earliest transcriptions and some of the ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. And so quite possibly, this is how Mark ends his entire gospel. And if he is ending it this way, he's ending it in a very anticlimactic way. And so I think we should really ask, why is Mark choosing to end his gospel this way? What is he trying to tell to the early church um, by telling the story the way he did? And what is the significance that we can take away from it today? And so now that I've kind of prefaced my sermon a bit, um, without further ado, let's actually kind of dive on into the word itself. So, again, despite this being the story about Jesus Christ, Mark doesn't tell us about how Jesus rose from the grave. Rather, he focuses the story of the resurrection from the perspective of three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome. Thankfully, Alex did an excellent job last week giving us some background information into who these women are. But just as a quick recap, if you don't remember, we learned that Mary Magdalene has been following Jesus ever since, ever since she had demons cast out of her. We learned that Salome uh, talked to Christ about having her two sons, James and John, on Christ's right and left. And we believe that Mary, mother of James, 
is also Christ's mother. So we now know who these women are, and of course they're followers of Christ. But what's interesting is, up until now, they've really only been background characters, or like an NPC, you know, a non-playable character, for those who <laughs> know what that term means. Um, well, we heard about them, and we've seen them at some of the really important events that have happened, including Jesus' death and burial, we don't see them play a significant role themselves in the formation of the early church. Basically, they haven't been a main character. Before the resurrection, the women were only background characters, not a main character. But why is this important? Well, I think it's important that we get into the mindset of who these women are. For a moment, try and think of a personal example of a time where you acted, or maybe you're currently acting, as a background character, or again, like an NPC, rather than as a main character. An example I can think of in my own life uh, brings me back to high school in grade 10. Uh, I tried out for the basketball team, and if you know me, I am not that great at basketball. And so, unfortunately, I didn't make the team. <laughs> but the coaches still asked me if I wanted to be on the team as a stats keeper. <laughs> and I know it's an interesting position, not really on the team, but you know what? I got to attend all the games. I got to miss all the school I wanted to go to these games, and I was on the team. But really, I mean, I wasn't the main player here or a main character. I was a background character for the actual team. Ultimately, my attendance at those games didn't impact the game at all they could have done exactly the same thing with someone else in my position. Maybe a more practical example for our church is someone who's acting as a simple church member, but who's not actually doing the things that happen within their simple church or within their simple church region. So just like the woman, you attend some of the really cool and important stuff that happens within your simple church, um, but you're not actively participating. Or maybe another example could be um, something as simple as the importance of tithing. You understand that it's important to tithe, but you yourself don't actively tithe. There are a lot of examples that can be given here to illustrate what it means by background character, but essentially they're all the same thing, which is that these moments we are staying in the background rather than the, uh, being a main character. We're choosing not to be active, not to do something. And I want you to think of these examples. So if we think back to the woman, we can understand that right now, they're background characters. They aren't essential to the story of Christ or to bringing others towards God. Really, anyone could have had demons cast out of them or attended the burial of Christ, and it wouldn't have really mattered. We see that they aren't really unique or needed to the story of Jesus Christ. At least not yet, anyways. So, now we go into the story. These women come to the tomb, and based on how Mark and the other Gospels describe it, right away we can tell that the women don't believe that Christ is actually going to rise again. Now, Christ had made it quite clear to the public that he would rise three days later. And coincidentally, three days later, is exactly the day that these women are showing up at the tomb. 
So if the women believe that Christ is going to rise again, why are they showing up with burial spices? Why are they worried that the stone won't be rolled away? Clearly, despite what Christ had said, they don't believe that he will rise again. And now I don't really blame the woman for being in this position. I think, honestly, it's a very human way of thinking. I think a lot of the earlier Christ followers believed the same way. I mean, we can even look towards the disciples. And all the disciples at this time fled when they thought that their rabbi, Christ, had died. Until now, one of the few examples that these people maybe had seen or heard of for a resurrection had to deal with Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the death, uh, from dead. But again, that was Jesus resurrecting Lazarus while Jesus was alive, not Jesus resurrecting himself while he's dead. And so I think what Mark does is by telling us that the women are going to the tomb with burial spices, he's trying to paint this picture that these women just like everyone else, are in mourning, and they're not really expecting anything further to come from the story of Jesus. But then, we see that as the women enter the tomb, they walk in, and if you can imagine, they walk in, carrying their burial spices, doing what they probably would have expected normally, with the exception of the stone rolled away, which is kind of alarming. But they walk in, the tomb is empty, and then they look to their right, and they see an angel. Now, <laughs> I think it's more than fair to say that these women were described as being alarmed. In the Bible, we've seen many times where people have come face to face with angels. Um, a classic example would be the shepherds in the field, and the heavenly hosts appear to them. And what I find interesting is that every time you see angels appear, we have two descriptions of how people see them. We see them either in this awestruck wonder and amazement, and we also see them in this incredible fear. The closest thing I think I can compare this to, this kind of feeling and sensation, would be is if you were walking down the street, maybe to a friend's house, and as you're walking, just as you're maybe approaching the door to your friend's house, you look down at your feet, and you see a firework about to go off right in front of you. Now, of course, fireworks are absolutely beautiful. I love uh, Canada Day that's coming up. I love being able to see the fireworks. It's just such a beautiful celebration. And fireworks themselves are so beautiful. But if there was one going off right in front of me, I would be terrified. And so I think this really helps us understand why these women are alarmed. It makes sense that they're alarmed in front of an empty tomb and in front of an angel. But if we take a moment to stop focusing on the woman for a second, and we focus now on the angel, we see that the angel himself is actually quite calm and assured. Despite the fact that Christ is risen and his body's gone, the angel says to these women, do not be alarmed. Why is the angel so calm and assured? Of course, I wouldn't expect the angel to be shocked at coming face to face with three women, but shouldn't he be shocked at the disappearance of Christ's body? And quite simply, the answer is no, um, because he knew that Christ was going to rise again. 
I don't think we should be surprised that a herald of God, an angel, knew God's plan for Christ. Now, this actually brings me to an important point, which is that Christ's death and resurrection was God's plan all along. Now, we kind of know this. We've seen this happen. Um, the predictions and the prophecies coming all the way throughout the Bible. But when we, again, just focusing on the angel, we see that he's just in that common assured manner. He doesn't question why the body of Jesus has disappeared. But rather, he just states, Christ has risen and he is not here. Like, he knew full well that this was the plan. But I also think what's more important is that Christ's de death and resurrection, he knew that it was key to these women becoming main characters. But what do I mean by this? Well, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, this herald of God can now give a task to these women. And not just any task, but essentially the task. The ultimate mission to go and tell others about the gospel of Jesus. Now, at this moment, the women have finally been given a task that involves them playing a role in the mission of Christ. Essentially, the coach is saying, get on in there, <laughs> you're going to play. They now are a main character. And so, we see that at this moment, this angel, God essentially, is giving them a challenge that they are being challenged to go from a background character to a main character. I'm gonna take some water. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, <laughs> now, to tell these women that they're no longer background characters, there are three key points that this angel says to them. One, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Two, that he, Christ, is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. And three, just as he told you. And so why are these three things important to focus on? Well, if we go to point one, go and tell the disciples and Peter. We see that the angel is telling the woman to tell others about Christ's resurrection. This is their mission, to tell the disciples who knew Christ fairly well that he has risen. This is how the women are being told to be main characters. Now, I also think what's kind of interesting in these few words is that the angel singles out Peter. And as a quick little side tangent, I want to ask, why Peter? Well, if you remember back from a few sermons ago, we learned that it was Peter who denied Christ. Peter made a pretty significant mistake, I'd say, by ultimately denying Christ. And this mistake would have made him feeling afraid of his denial in his past would affect his relationship with God and with Christ. At this moment, he probably felt that he was the most separated from Jesus he'd ever been. But what's amazing is, despite this should-be separation, we see that God still has a plan for Peter. Essentially, Peter too is called to be a main character. Now, that was kind of just a fun little aside um, to focusing on Peter. But if we focus back onto our main points, and focus back on what the angel is saying to the woman. So we heard, her say, we heard the angel say, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Now for point two, we see the angel say to tell the disciples that he, Christ, is going ahead of you to Galilee. 
you will see him there. Now, why is this important? Well, here, we clearly see that the angels, that the angels saying that Christ slash God has gone ahead of them. We see that this promise that God makes to the woman and to the disciples, that during their transition into being a main character, God will be with them, and he is promising that they will not be on their own. Essentially, it's a bit of a confirmation that everything that they are going to be doing and what they're being commissioned to say and do, their call to be a main character has already been done by Christ. Now, what I also love about this, though, too, is that this actually isn't even a new promise. Um, if we go back to the Bible, go to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy, and we look at Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, we can read about Moses, who at this moment is about to give over to Joshua command of leading the Israelite people, God's chosen people. And in doing so, we see him say, the Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And I just love this so much because we see that regardless of the Old Testament or the New Testament, God has continually promised to go ahead of us of all those he's leading and trusting to be his main characters. Okay, so we talked about uh, the angel saying, go and tell the disciples and Peter, and the angel saying, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Lastly, point three, we see that the angel reminds them of God's promise by saying, just as he, Christ, told you. I think this just again reaffirms to the disciples and even to the women that this was God's plan all along. We kind of knew from the angel and we can read about it as this was God's plan all along. But to the women and to the disciples, this is their confirmation that this was God's plan all along. Before Jesus died, he knew that he would die. He knew the disciples would be scattered, and he knew that he would rise again. Most importantly, I think he knew just how important the disciples' role and the women's role would be as main characters in telling the story about Christ. I think it's a perfect reminder to the disciples that he, Jesus, is indeed the Savior, the Son of God. Overall, we kind of see in this one sentence, this angel is delivering this very important message about how God has a plan for all of his followers to go from background characters to main characters. Now, had Mark taken and just ended the passage here, I think we could have interpreted what would happen next. The woman would have gone, told the disciples and Peter about Christ, and the foundation of the early church would have been formed. And we do know this happened. But Mark doesn't quite end it here. There's still one more verse left that Mark has in his proposed original writing. And if we look at this verse, personally, I kind of feel it leaves this almost unfinished feeling. Mark, rather than finishing strong with the angel giving the woman to task in, uh, the task of going and telling others about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he instead, instead says, that the women, they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Why would Mark include this? 
does this mean that the whole end of his book and the story of Christ's resurrection is just not going to be told to the disciples or to the world? <laughs> and of course not. Based on the fact that we do know that disciples go and see Jesus and that the early church was indeed formed, we can be pretty confident that the woman did eventually say something to the disciples. And this is a very common theory that a lot of people believe is why Mark ended it here. We can look even to Luke to see that the woman did go and tell the disciples. So then why does Mark leave it here? If this is supposed to be his end, why wouldn't Mark just have added one more verse saying, but then the woman overcame their fear and told the disciples? Well, I think what Mark so eloquently does here is he highlights that the call to be a main character is not easy at all. Essentially, since the call to be a main character requires you to go and tell others about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this wouldn't be an easy task. Sometimes for myself, I kind of forget just how crazy of a concept the resurrection is. I grew up in the church, so I kind of just always learned about it. You know, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the grave. Cool, yeah, no big deal. But it is a big deal. Others hearing about the resurrection would require a lot of thought on their part. It's not something that they're just going to easily understand. Basically, as Christians, we are called to believe in something that is truly uh, miraculous as our foundation of our faith. And this is that story that we're reading today. And it's a crazy story about a man who died and rose again for our sins. So it's not going to be something that people are just going to grasp. Believing this story requires us, as the people who believe it, to live counterculturally. That isn't normal. People probably won't understand why we do what we do or believe what we believe. And naturally, there's a good chance that those people are going to think we're crazy. And so in this story, we see that the woman being tasked to be a main character by telling their story that will actively set them apart from others and will probably cause people to think they're crazy. We can see that in this moment, this task for the women to be called to be main characters is terrifying. So I've used this term main character a lot so far in my sermon. But what do I mean by main character? Well, for the women, they are now being asked to no longer just watch any background characters anymore. Up until now, they didn't have to lead others to God. Especially with Christ being alive for most of this time, they could have just let Christ lead others to God. But now, they have been given a task to lead others to God. This is what's going to make them a main character. I think maybe more practically to tie back into some of the examples I gave before, um, what can make someone go from a background character to a main character within their simple church or region could be as simple as taking the initiative to participate in events or gatherings of your simple church. And I know this sounds crazy and it's super simple, but what you're doing is showing others that you are indeed a follower of Christ. It shows your brothers and sisters in Christ that you are a part of their family. And it shows those outside the church that you are committed to following Christ. 
even though the simple action of committing your schedule to valuing your time with your church might sound really easy, it shows others that you are committed as a follower of Christ. This is how people are going to see your faith in Jesus. Another example could be actively tithing or living below your means, knowing that the way you live can intentionally show others that you have faith in Christ's story. But again, this is not easy. To be a main character can be terrifying. It requires you to step out of your comfort zone. We see in the passage that the woman didn't go and tell because they were afraid. Right now, these women are women in a male-dominated society. Who are they really to tell others? I mean, I think if they go and tell others about God at this moment, about Jesus rising from the grave, there's a good chance that people are going to think they lost it. <laughs> Doing this will require the woman to step out of their comfort zone. And so, we see that being a main character requires you to sacrifice being a background character. Now, there is a lot to be afraid of when you choose to step to, into being a main character. We can understand that these women are afraid, especially, um, specifically, they're afraid that people will think of them weirdly or that they just won't treat them the same anymore. To bring this into a bit of a more modern kind of idea, um, the problem the woman they're facing right now actually kind of reminds me of uh, one of my favorite songs or one of my older favorite songs by DC Talk called Jesus Freak. Now, this is a semi-older Christian song, um, but the lyrics kind of really hold relevant to right now in the story. And in the chorus, the lyrics say, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? These lyrics quite easily highlight a struggle that exists with following Christ. And what's more is that this isn't a problem that just existed in the past. This problem exists today. Quite honestly, there's a lot to be afraid about where, whenever you're being called to be a main character. In church, I want to make it clear that just like the woman, we are called to be main characters. Why did the angel tell the woman and not the disciples directly? Because the women are just like us. They're acting, or they were acting, as background characters. We are called to lead others to God. That's not easy. And really, a point that I think the scripture does a really good job of highlighting is that it's our fears that limit us from going from a background character to a main character. For the women, and probably for a lot of us, the perception of how others view us plays a significant role in if we choose to act as a main character. I also think stuff like our past, or our ethnicity, our gender, our finances, our speaking abilities, and really anything that we allow to define ourselves, that we think define us, I think these all play a role in what we possibly have to be afraid about. Because they all stand for something that we're gonna have to sacrifice. It's these things that limit how effective we can be at leading others to God. For me, 
I know something that I'm afraid about is telling people in my lab, uh, so my coworkers, you know, how, like, I'm afraid to be a leader to them and to show them that I follow God. I'm afraid that they might think that because I'm a Christian, they think I can't be a good scientist. Or I'm also afraid that their perspective of me and my faith might limit my potential future as a scientist. But church, I don't want us to focus on the fear. I want us to focus on something more amazing. We read in this passage about an amazing promise that God makes to his disciples, to the woman, and ultimately to us too, which is that God is going ahead of us just as he told us he would. If you focus back on the woman and we look at the Gospel of Luke, we see that despite their fear, the woman did go and tell the disciples about Christ's resurrection. And honestly, they were right to be afraid because the disciples didn't believe them. Um, we see that, but what's amazing though is we see that despite the woman's fear being valid, they still go and tell the disciples, they take this huge step of overcoming their fear. And what's amazing is that God goes ahead of them and shows himself to the disciples. Now, I don't want to go too far into this story because this kind of overlaps with what we're going to be reading about and learning about next week. But I want to, again, focus on this point that God goes ahead of them. And it's because God has gone ahead of them that they have a story to tell. It didn't, uh, it didn't matter who they were. God still used them to tell a story. They were still important main characters. And similarly, if we look at Peter, as I mentioned, despite Peter's past, Jesus still appears to him. Even though Peter arguably gave Christ the huge proverbial slap in the face when he denied him, we still see that he has a story to tell. It, it didn't matter what his past had been. God was able to use him as a main character to lead others to God. Okay, so <laughs> there's been a lot that I've talked about, and I'm almost done, um, but there's still a little bit more, and I just want to ask, what makes this promise, the promise of God going ahead of us now, different from the promise that God made back in Deuteronomy? Like, what is the difference between our lives or the lives of the woman at the tomb or disciples in Peter or just anyone who's followed compared to the Old Testament figures like Joshua or even Gideon, Esther, David, and all the others? And truthfully, the difference is that we now have a story because Christ's death and resurrection. While some of those great figures did amazing feats for God by putting aside their fear and trusting him, we see that their story, what made them a main character, could not fulfill or bring life to God's chosen people and to the world. While we see that they have amazing stories and that they were people who started as background characters, so to speak, and became a main character, we still see that all they accomplished still led to death. What we see is that their stories show that as a human, they could not do it on their own. Ultimately, their stories point to something unknown and greater to come. But now, 
because of Christ's death and resurrection, our story, what makes us go from being background characters to main characters, just like the woman in the tomb, or the disciples in Peter, and again, everyone else that has followed, is that our story isn't about us, but rather about pointing others towards Christ's story and what he accomplished when he died and rose again. Unlike the Old Testament characters, now our story isn't about ourselves or something unknown to come, but rather is a story about Christ and just how amazing he was to have died on the cross for our sins. He ultimately did the impossible, which means that now we are no longer doomed to death, but we can have everlasting life. Because of Christ's resurrection, our story is now a story that shows that we can go from being caught in our sin, caught in our inabilities, in our past, or in our fear, and now we can be a main character who tells the story of Jesus Christ and how he died and set us free, giving us a way to salvation. Church, each of our stories are important. We are all called to be main characters. No one else can fill your role in telling your story. But what makes your story so important is that your story isn't about you anymore. It's about Jesus Christ. So despite who you are and what you've done, do you believe that Christ has gone ahead of you and is playing an important role in you becoming a main character? Indeed, we are called to be main characters. We all have steps that we can do to grow to become main characters. But that's only because Christ was and is the ultimate main character. So to wrap up, I want to leave you guys with a few questions to think about. One, where are you acting as a background character? Two, what are you afraid of that's limiting you from going from a background character to a main character? Three, how can your knowledge that your story isn't about you, but rather about Jesus, change your fear? And four, how can you take a step of faith today to become a main character, knowing that uh, our story isn't about us, but is about Christ? Let's pray, church. Dear God, thank you that uh, we can just be here today, that we can just spend this very hot and beautiful Sunday morning or <laughs> afternoon just reading your word, learning more about what it means to be a follower of you, what it means to go from that background character to be a main character. Thank you, God, that you guide us, that you go before us, that you overcome all of our fears, that there's nothing that we can't do when you're on our side. I pray, God, for our church, just as we head out today, that we can just lean into what it means to be a main character and just to truly lean into following you more and more. Thank you for the amazing opportunity today, God, just to be able to preach your word. Thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Thanks, church, for listening. I hope you took something fruitful away from today. Uh, have a great day. Be blessed. <laughs>